Welcome to Bruin Source. This is Isaiah. This is Zed. And we're here on August 17th, two weeks away from the first Saturday of college football, um, and one week away from college football, and about 10 days away from UCLA's kickoff. So we're going to go over a few things this week. Uh, a recap of week two of fall camp. and There's a lot of bad stuff coming out of there. Yeah, it was. It, it, we had a few days where it was quiet, so it seems to be more of the norm for fall camp in Westwood. Um, <laughs> Injuries. Yes. Um, yeah. Let's talk um, about it. Yeah, the biggest I think kind of news that came out was Alec Anderson, our projected starting left tackle, went down. Uh, not only did he go down, he had to have surgery. Uh, unknown as to what the actual injury is, but he did have surgery. He is going to be out for some period of time. We're still not sure how much. Um, The sort of good news, I think, is that he... It seems like people are thinking he'll be back by the Oklahoma game. I think he'll... If... That is actually true. I think he'll be back by hopefully Pac-12 play. Yeah, either Wazoo or Oklahoma. I I, I hope they let him heal and let him come back for Wazoo. Yeah, I think that's more important than Oklahoma, in I, my opinion. I agree. And then uh, they also mentioned that Sean Ryan is 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 now jumped up the depth chart, which many of us actually expected once we signed uh, Sean Ryan to be in that spot, possibly. But with the summer development of Alec Anderson, we realized that there we actually could have potentially two um, candidates for that position. But <clears throat> Sean Ryan's going to be thrown into the fire uh, early on, and I think Oklahoma would be a good test for him. Let him uh, duke it out. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always hard to have a true freshman starting at left tackle. It scares me a lot. Yeah, and I know there's been some suggestions, and the whole line is not solidified yet that Jake Burden could move over, could switch over. So um, that spot in itself seems to be in flux overall. Yeah, it, it's a little worrisome. I mean, as we've talked about, a billion times at this point. The the O line death is not not ideal. So, you know, best wishes to Alec. Hopefully he gets back quickly. Um and, you know, has a full speedy recovery and then, you know, we we bring Sean Ryan up to speed and we'll actually have a little bit of depth at the position there. But it's it's very worrisome for sure. It is. Well not only that our Backup center is also hurt right now, so yeah, that's same. not helping anyone. Yep. Um, and I know also when we signed Duke Clemens, we wanted <coughs> sorry, um, we wanted Duke to we wanted Duke to slot into that backup spot as well. So it seems like again our younger guys are going to get much more experience than uh, expected. Right, and that's 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 a good thing in the long run. <coughs> um, might not be a good thing for this season. Yeah. So good for we'll, development, we'll how, maybe not for the win loss column. Right. So we'll see how that how that kind of shakes out. Um, in terms of injuries, I mean, we still have a lot of 
a lot of guys out. Theo Howard still hasn't really practiced. Uh, Josh Kelly's hurt still. Uh, another new one was Casimir Allen also was in the, the golden jersey, as you call it. Um, <laughs> the cursed golden jersey. Um, yeah, so it's been sort of a typical UCLA camp with a lot of injuries. I, You know, it's funny. I, I say it's a typical UCLA thing, but I, and I, you know, I admit I don't follow other schools' camps. I'm curious if this is kind of across college football this is pretty common or not well i i think most teams they lose about four or five players the problem is is when you lose lose key players and it's in spots that uh, doesn't have much depth which has kind of been the the tell of uh, ucla's camp so we lose uh guys um in positions where we're like who's going to fill in for them and so for example on the other side of the country they lose, um, I believe it was Sanders, their, their running back, their blue, their blue uh, chip recruit. And that's okay because they have Najee Harris, you know, so. At Bama? <laughs> yeah, at Bama. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, well, first is we lose our, our uh, star running back in like the first day. Yeah, and players were heavily dependent on for the outcome of the season, so. Uh, it's the same. I mean, if, if Oregon State lost Jamar Jefferson, then it would change the whole outcome of their season. And we're not even, I wouldn't say we're so dependent on Josh Kelly in that sense, but um, it just, we're somewhere in the spectrum um, in between an Oregon State and uh, closer to an Oregon State than Alabama, who are stacked at depth. And that's not a good place to be. No. At all. So fall camp is a lot more sensitive for us uh, Bruin fans who tend to follow it closely. Yeah. So, yep, injuries, still not good. A um, couple of things that we, other things that have happened in the last week or so, fall camp. Uh, Carl Jones, who was recruited as a safety slash corner prospect, um, has been moved into inside linebacker, so we'll see if we can uh, replicate what kind of we had with Jayon Brown, undersized uh, linebacker who just loves to blow people up, and hopefully that works out. He is small. Yeah, he's a bit smaller, but I I, I trust that he's going to do well at the position, and I don't really have a good reason other than the fact that he has <laughs> dreadlocks. <laughs> And I think any player that has dreadlocks on defense should be a linebacker. <laughs> should be a linebacker or a defensive end, and they usually are pretty good. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm looking at you, Tack. <laughs> uh, miss Tack. <laughs> um, so uh, and then Jayon had uh, he had locks as well, and so uh, I I do think that's it's a marker. A good a reason as any. <laughs> yeah. So I have high hopes for Carlos Jones now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've seen it happen then before. Even even Eric Kendricks was kind of knocked as being a little undersized for a while, too. I mean, I, so if, if Jones can put on a little bit of weight, he could be effective. He could be. And it's, it's a, I mean, those guys, both of them, Brown and Kendricks, the, the two things they had in common was that they had a high motor and they knew how to tackle um, really well. They had the technique down. So, um, and they just had 
such good instinctual um, <clears throat> skills in, in terms of tracking the ball. So, right. yeah, we should be fine. And also, Kendricks, he didn't have dreadlocks, but he did have locks. He had long hair. So uh, there's another, see? There's something long, here. You're long, hair something on here. long hair at the, the, line, the backer, linebacker position, I think, is a You're good onto sign. something. I'm going to have a Samson theory there. <laughs> start one. Oh man well hopefully hopefully it all works out um and then kind of one other major thing or positive thing i would say now that we've talked about a couple of negative and weird things is reports about dtr have been very positive coming out of camp so he seems to have really stepped up um He's been making some good throws. He's throwing with authority. And that's sort of what we were hoping to see this camp in terms of, you know, him taking some leadership and stepping up and becoming that starting QB, especially after his shakier spring. Yeah, and also um, other thing we like to hear, we probably wouldn't even hear it now in the middle of camp, but um, just I don't want to even hear about Burden, uh, Austin Burden uh, possibly transferring, so... Uh, we wouldn't hear it now, but it's just nice to hear that uh, from... I know he had an interview, and he seemed pretty positive um, in that video, just about his place and where he is as a backup. Um, and knowing that you know our team will be doing read options, and there will be possibly a chance for him to play, especially if we do well this season. So hopefully we can keep the depth chart, and especially while Colson is ineligible um, for this year. Hashtag free Colson. Free Colson. Um, that is that's positive. So the QB, I guess, yeah, with nothing but good news coming from there. And we're excited to see him play. Yeah, I mean, as long as we have a effective O-line, I think, you know, DTR is poised to have a very good year. We'll see we'll see how it all kind of gels out, but I I was very very pleased with with that information kind of coming out from various people. And, and it's just, it's a good sign of, of the offense at least clicking for us. Yeah. Another topic that's been, that uh, actually has come up is speed. Uh, it seems that we have a collection of the fastest players we had in a while. We always usually have one or two burner burners, and now we have, it seems like, four or five guys that continuously keep each other, uh, for, I mean, that are pushing each other to get better. Uh, Keegan Jones, Darnay Holmes, Christian Grubb, um, and I'm miss and Casimir, Casimir Allen. So you're forgetting you're forgetting a big one that we've been hearing a lot about actually. And Irwin, Mister uh, yep. Last Chance You Killer himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those five guys. I mean, that just speaks to I forgot one, and usually we can only name two in the past. It was Kenny Walker. Okay, Dimitri Felton. Oh yeah, I even include Felton, who's fast. Yeah, Felton. Himself, so. Yeah, we seem to have uh, we have some speed guys, and I think this is the type of athletes that we expected in a Kelly's offense. So I actually was thinking about it. I was like, our team could look different um, in terms of what options that Kelly has this year um, versus last year. And Darnay being the only one on defense, but the other guys are all on offense. It's, it's kind of, it, we'll see what he has, what kind of wrinkles he has um, in play in his bag. It'll be, yeah, it'll be fun to watch. I am particularly excited to see Jalen Irwin. Um, 
he he's being touted as being not only fast but actually having very good hands too. So again, we've always seen that that combination of uh, or the lack of combination of from UCLA receivers is when they're fast, but they're just not good ball catchers. And it sounds like Irwin is both very very fast and can actually catch the ball. So. You know, I think we might have a legit burner on the, the wide receiver core to take the top off the, the defense there. Yeah, right. So up that'll the be same. exciting to watch. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I do think it makes me optimistic. Last year we were like, is this the offense that we're going to have? I, it, I think it's going to change during, throughout Kelly's years. So we'll see. I mean, as yeah. innovative that he's been, we'll, you can't uh, assume. He's already changed it once. He could change it again. Right. I mean, look, I still don't think we're going to ever see, you know, the blur, the Oregon blur that he had. Um, I think we'll probably still see something more similar to what we saw last year, but it might be a little bit more sped up and might utilize some of the speed guys. So it'll be it'll be fun to watch how he uh, adjusts based on the personnel this year. And I, I'm hoping he's kind of getting towards getting more of the guys he wants into the program to fully initiate his vision. Um, uh, that being said, I think our issues last year as the season went on really weren't offensive. I think we got pretty good on that side of the ball. It, it still remains to be seen if we can be just decent at defense. Um, again, the... We've been hearing good things about the secondary out of fall camp. Um, this past week, we've heard a lot about guys like um, Antonio Maffi, who really looks like he's stepped up. Um, I know we've talked about how much weight he's lost, but now he really seems to be utilizing that weight loss, and he's looked very good, very mobile, and very quick, especially for his size. Um you know, I've seen the the been hearing about the D line just looking mean and aggressive and fast and strong, and so that's that's encouraging. So hopefully we can get some run stopping and some, you know, people getting after the quarterback, and that's going to be a big one. Um, you know, we talked about inside linebacker. It's never a good sign that we have to move a DB to a f- true freshman DB into the inside linebacker just to get a little depth. So that's still worrying um, to me at least. But so, well, it sounds like outside we're getting guys like Noah Keeter might be contributing. He's looked much better than anyone thought. And, you know, I've seen his name pop up a few times. So it'll... I'm still not sold, but there's some positives coming out on on the defense in the last week or so that are encouraging. Yeah, they definitely are. Um, I think we, yeah, I mean, I I think most of us aren't really worried about the defensive line, but or the cornerbacks. It just solely is our linebackers and right. the positioning of that on the outside versus inside, who's being shuffled around. Um, we saw Elijah Wade, who we all thought was going to be uh, on the outside, is now, you know, as we talked about in our last uh, couple episodes, is now moved to DE. So it's it's still a bit of shuffling, and we're, we want to see guys who are necessarily going to hit. 
But I will say again, it's when you look back in the past, Jayon Brown came out of nowhere, like, and he was a three star sure. from a three star recruit from Poly, and you know he wasn't one of the headliners, uh, but he was a baller, and so I do think I'm excited as you mentioned with Keeter is that or Carl Jones like will have some of these guys who are just there to prove themselves work hard and they see the opportunity there and the results will come on the field and next thing you know they're being mentioned in the Pac-12 they were it, it, we have the short memory of we didn't even mention them um 2 years ago when they were we don't even remember them getting signed right. you know so uh, that's the beauty of college football in itself, and I'm hoping that UCLA more than not has a lot of those guys who are going to contribute, um, such as we see with other programs who have great coaching, the Utahs. The um, I won't I won't continue complimenting other Pac-12 programs, but Utah happens to be one of them um, that pulls these guys out of uh, nowhere and coaches them right. up. So we're excited to see the development over the next couple of years with these younger guys. Yeah, it was interesting, you know, speaking of kind of effort level and things like that and, you know, players, you know, trying and, and putting in the work. Uh, there was a last week, I think there was a day where apparently they came out and um, just shells and not full pads. And I guess Kelly was very unhappy with the effort level, so he made everybody go back in and put on the full pads and really ratcheted up the intensity. I loved that. I loved hearing that, that there was just no no excuses, and then he, if he felt like there was just not the effort there, he just he went in on them. So I, I, I thought that was very... Like, it made me happy to hear, like, this wasn't some soft team anymore that's not going to, you know, just going to skate by with minimal effort or, or anything like that. Like, he, he's there to at least instill some discipline in these guys. And that, that was, that made me, that made me smile. It sounds sure like it you're, sucked uh, for them. yeah, it sounds like you're alluding to another program across town. Uh, who, I don't name that name. <laughs> who only practice in, uh. And pads, uh, two out of their first eight that, practices. That place isn't even worth the oxygen <laughs> that I would expend to say. Just curious, the uh, description of, of such program that you want to avoid being. Yeah, they're, they're soft as hell over there, and they have been. So I wasn't actually even thinking about that, but it is an apt uh, kind of juxtaposition, I think, that, that you're, you're, you're bringing up. No, I'm still not going to say their name on this. <laughs> we won't. We won't give them free publicity. But there are other programs out there, one that's closer uh, than further, that that fits the description of what uh, Chip Kelly is not trying to instill in Westwood. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Um, but that, that sort of wraps up um, this week's fall camp uh, review or or insights you have anything else no um we have one more week of fall camp and then next week the following week is actually prep it's prep week so i, th I believe they're going to end on thursday and then they'll start prepping um for the short week most likely yep. on saturday um 
but yeah, no, this is exciting. I, I, I have to say, I, I think we're okay on injuries. It sucks as Alec Anderson. I still think that Josh is going to be there for the Cincy game. Um, I think Theo will probably be fine. He'll just have to catch his catch the balls with his left hand, and he probably will. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so I, I'm actually I'm okay with the injury front. I think our guys are okay. And I, I know we lost uh, Thompson, which was a hit. But we needed. I mean, I guess it's a given that we're gonna lose one linebacker. So um, I just, I really, um, I'm, I'm okay with it. Fall camps yep. have been going well, and it's much different. I would say it's not completely a 180 from last year, but it's probably about like a 160. Like we're almost, almost complete turnaround. But there's like, but it's a lot. It seems a lot more comfortable. Kelly seems a lot more comfortable. Um, with his right. players, uh, and it's as we all know, we have to give this program time. This is a complete rebuild, um, and the fall camp is showing development on that end. Yep, agreed, agreed. Uh, you want to talk about our, our new uh, feature that we're going to be launching soon? Yeah, so um, I always thought uh, throughout the season, once we get to the middle of the, you know each season, it, you start to think like, which teams should I be rooting for um, and which ones help UCLA? And with that, I thought about it this offseason. I said, hey, we should have a rooting guide for all our Bruins fans. Essentially, each week we are going to be breaking down um, which teams you want to root for in the Pac-12, um, which teams that you want to root for um, that we played out of conference. And I, I mean, it's a pretty, it's common sense that for all the out-of-conference teams we play, we want them to lose to us, and we want them to win the rest of the games. So that goes for Cincinnati, um, Oklahoma, and, and San Diego State, which are very good teams, each three of them. The problem is that you're playing such great teams, but there is also the flip side is that each of them have the capability to win their conference. Um, whether it happen, it, we'll see, but we want to root for them as soon as we beat them we want to continue rooting for them for the rest of the season because it only helps us. It helps our strength of schedule, and it helps us show they would continue being a talking point on our schedule. So, so you're you're basing this off of logic, not pure emotion. No, yeah, just the and and I guess the hardest part with with this guide is uh, is deciding where to have USC's. Um, wins and losses because you can't have them lose every game i mean you could but you don't right by the time see you play them. i i couldn't i couldn't do this because i i'm too emotional with this and i just want every other pac 12 team to just lose yeah and and we have to root for we have to root for oregon versus auburn we have to root for um asu versus michigan state uh, Cal versus Ole Miss. Um, a lot of the big Power Five games uh, that we're playing: Stanford versus Northwestern, which is another hard one to root for. Um, Colorado versus Nebraska, which is fine. I'm actually because Nebraska fans have gotten so much hype, and I feel like that hype should be going to UCLA, especially given the fact that Scott Frost is a student of Chip Kelly's. So I'm fine with Colorado beating Nebraska. Um. And then, yeah, just uh, on that front, those those big games. Arizona's playing Texas Tech. We want them to beat them. Stanford to beat UCF so that can end the whole uh, national championship 
<laughs> You're not talk. a fan of that? <laughs> uh, no. Um, I think if they had a schedule, a real schedule. We'll see. Actually, if they go undefeated this year, I think they deserve respect because they're playing some really good teams. Uh, when, oh, do they, when do they play Stanford? Week three. Week three. Yeah. Got it. So Stanford has such a, they have a pretty tough schedule. They have Northwestern coming in, um, and then USC, and so they should win both of those games. They and then they have UC, they're going to UCF. They're actually going out to Orlando to play oh. UCF on the road. So, uh, yeah, their first three games are no cupcakes. And again, they have Notre Dame down the line, um, you know, for their last game of the season. So, but anyways, that's just one team. Uh, but those are for the out-of-conference games. But I also, actually looking into it, I think most of us have to realize that we actually want Cal to win most of their games. We want Cal to win the North. Um, why? Because Cal is our last game of the season. We want them to have as many wins as they can have. Um, we want it to be a big game because in the past when... When Cal and UCLA play on Thanksgiving weekend, it's not really a big game. There's other big rivalries. So in the in the whole scenario that UCLA actually has one or two losses, which again, this is a completely hypothetical. This is not my prediction. I'm not saying 12-1, and one, which I would love to say, which maybe I'm saying, but I'm not saying. Um, <laughs> UCLA playing Cal at the end of the year. Both having one or two losses is the most ideal. Is the ideal season for you for both teams? Is part of your thought process about that to kind of make sure that our team isn't sleeping on a meaningless game? Yes, that as well. As you know, and I said in the last episode, I believe that game's a potential hangover game, and I don't want that to happen. Um, and so, uh, I actually think us playing a, a a top 15 cow, um, which they're going to, they're going, they're a dark horse in the North and they could potentially win the North. Uh, they have, you think they're going to be better than Washington this year? No, I don't, but I'd want them to be. That's it. And that's what we're rooting for. Um, well, I don't, but it, cause, and the reason being is that I just, I don't think they have the offense. They have a great defense right. and they have the best defensive backs in the nation up there with LSU. Oh, definitely. As a unit, um, because they have guys who just work so well as a unit uh, compared to Darnay Holmes, who is just, he's a monster on an island by himself. He's, you know, or um, what's his name? Jalen Johnson or Paul from Stanford. Those guys are just, they can work on their own. But as a unit, Cal has such a great team. So I think they are going to be the ones that give Washington fits, uh, give Eason and those guys fits. But I'm not sure if their offense is going to be able to score in Washington. Um, so, who's their QB? It's either going to be, um, what's his name? Gosh, oh my gosh, I was going to say Devin Monster, but it's obviously not. <laughs> but Monster transferred there, didn't he? Yeah, he did, and he's in the. But it's not really a comp- a competition. It's um, it's Garbers. Oh, right, Chase Garbers, that's right. Yeah, Chase Garbers, the younger brother, I mean, older brother of Ethan Garbers. Um, and so, and he actually, I really like the guy because, again, he threw the 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 Trojans piece down. Uh, <laughs> he threw it down once he beat them last year. And as you know, he's a SoCal kid 
who probably doesn't like USC. So he's 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 all right in our boat. But regardless, yeah, Cal's a rival of ours. They're our second biggest rival. Um, and um, You're putting them above Stanford right now? Just for now. Once we beat Stanford, and if we beat them twice, then St- Cal's our, you know, our big rival again. Uh, I think Stanford just is is conditional, and it has to do with the fact that they're looking... They, they have 11 wins against us, so that's... I hate all the other California schools. Yeah, and I think there always will be a disdain with that, but... We have to root. If there's one team we're going to root for this season, it's going to be Cal. Um, and that's purely because they're, they're our last game of the season. Um, and with that, I actually wanted to... The other two teams in the North that I wanted to focus on were we want our, our Oregon and Washington, the two contenders. Yep. So I actually... I don't know if this will be surprising, but I think we want Oregon to win the North, if not Cal, in that order. So Cal, Oregon, and we don't want Washington to win any games outside or out of conference. And this doesn't have to do just with Colson, the whole Colson debacle. This has to do with... It has with... everything to do with that, Isaiah. <laughs> everything. I actually made this grid before, and then I changed it after the whole Colson. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, the reason being is that Washington, number one, is probably our main competitor in the type of recruits we go after. Um, they, if you look at their classes, they're the type of classes UCLA, like the 2019 class is a class that UCLA, we hope as fans we would have in terms of great talent, but it also seem like great kids. And they have the academics that are, they're also offered by UCLA. And somehow they ended up in Washington's hands. Well, we know somehow because Washington has won the conference two out of the last yep. three years. And so they earned it. But with that said, we don't want Washington to win. Um, and that is for recruiting sake. Uh, we, we don't play them, so it doesn't affect our schedule. Um, and of those two schools, Oregon and Washington are the two schools we don't play. Oregon, the argument there is that Oregon is almost filled up with uh, with scholarship, with roster slots. They've recruited so heavy over the past couple of years that I don't even think that we will be recruiting the same guys as them. Um, so if you look at the guys... Interesting. I'm, so the guy, uh, the wide receiver from Bishop Gorman, Rome... Um, just mm-hmm. committed to Washington. We want guys like that to reconsider because Washington had a bad season. Um, those guys aren't considering Oregon, or not now at least. But um, Oregon, I think, is at a point where their recruiting is has so much momentum that even a bad season, kids want to go play for Oregon, whether it's just the culture, the, the everything there is flowing, and I don't think there's any point of rooting against them. As annoying as and obnoxious as their program seems and their fans are, I think we have to root to play them, if not Cal, in the, in the Pac-12 championship if we were able to make it. I'm curious to see if the recruiting goes the way of like Jim Mora's recruiting, where they got tons of stars, but none of them really panned out into anything. Yeah, and you know what's interesting is that uh, what's the wide receiver that, that showed up for spring and then he went back home? I believe it was Jalen Hall. And we were yeah, recruiting mm-hmm. him during Mora's years, which was funny, when he was a sophomore. 
And so, and he obviously kind of, he flirted with UCLA a bit, but he was assumed a USC lock. And then we know what happens. The trend is that USC, if they're not, if the USC uh, recruit isn't considering USC in the Pac-12, they're usually um, considering Oregon number one, and then maybe Washington after that. Uh, right. So there is kind of there, there's a commonality between the the people that USC and uh, and Oregon recruits and I like you said Crystal Ball is going after these kind of kids that he he just wants to they seem to be the same type of recruiting style as Mora and not in the sense of um, actually like the funness of it but with the guys they tar- target I agree I'm not in yeah interesting very interesting. What are your thoughts on this so far with the I mean like like I said it's it's all logical and makes sense um and I, and I you know I I want to again like clarify like this this grid and and the the picks that you have are to maximize UCLA season so I get that and that being said I just any place I see Southern Cal kind of highlighted or UW highlighted, I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> and I can definitely understand why. Um, it, I, I actually, you know, it's funny. I, I did this when I did this grid. I was, uh, I kept going back and forth on how many games I wanted USC to win before they played us. And I decided the best record well, the dream season for us is number one, especially for recruiting purposes. Um, assuming the fact that they don't get Urban Meyer until, I don't know, and he doesn't, I don't know, I don't even want to think about that scenario. But the dream scenario is that USC loses early. They fire Helton um, after the gauntlet of Stanford, BYU, Utah, and, and then UW and Notre Dame. That is one of the toughest five game stretches in the country when it comes to scheduling. And so yep. so USC loses, they fire Helton and then I actually want them to win I would like them to win up until they play us. And so when they when they're playing us, they're 5 and 6 and then that's where we beat them and they don't end up going to a bowl and it affects the recruiting. <laughs> Players are transferring. And, you know, so that's that's our dream season for USC, uh, is that the health is fired midseason. Uh, they get close enough where they think they're going to win a bowl, and we shut down that dream. It's right. It's very risky. It's a very big play, but, yeah. You're a better person and more disciplined person than I am to to use logic for this. And I mean, it took. That's all I'm gonna say. It took a lot of revision because uh, originally I did have USC going zero and twelve, and I was like, "That's just that doesn't help us um, even as much as we think it does." It's fun to watch, but it doesn't help us um, to beat to beat a, a team that's zero and eleven, and uh, in their home in their home stadium, it would it would just be a tune up game for uh, for Cal before Cal, so. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I get that, but I sort of disagree in terms of like, it doesn't matter how good or bad they are if beating them always means something. So I, 
yes, it helps when they're better, but and and I am a firm believer in you know the that rivalry game should always be between two ranked teams that are you know fighting for the conference. That being said, if they're garbage, I'm not going to be mad about it. And if they're 0 and 11 at that point, we put the or 0 and 10, we put the that kind of final nail in the coffin. I also won't be mad about it. So yeah, I just hate them that much. And I found, I guess this my my goal was to find a sweet spot there where they were just on on the borderline of, of bowling, and we kind of put an end to that. Like I said, it was fun when uh, back in two thousand and. Fifteen when, um, I mean it wasn't the result wasn't fun, but going into the game that the winner of that game was going to be playing Stanford in the champion the conference championship, and right. that you know that it just the game felt like so much more, and it was such a fun game until the second half. But uh, in that regard, like you said, I do agree with you. That game always means something if both teams are O, and. Um, well, UCLA would be 0-10, and, and then USC would be their last game, 0-11. Uh, the game would still mean something to us. Uh, it would mean the first team to win one game of the season. <laughs> and right. so, yeah, that game always means something. And But I, I think, yeah, there's an argument, like you said, there's an argument that could be made for USC and where the position we want for them. Just as you said, that game always means something, whether it's a conference championship or it's just simply the bell. Um, but that one, I have it right there where we end their bowl dreams, uh, or whatever they want to call that at that point. It's fine uh, with me. And then the other thing was that I had Utah, we want them, we want them to do well, but we don't want them to win more than, I have them winning eight games. And the reason being is because I had to have them losing a few games to the North teams that they play in order for us to play a great team in the Pac-12 championship, which I think improves our chances <laughs> to make it to the playoffs. And so <laughs> we're, we're, we're talking Pac-12 championships and playoffs right now. Yeah. Oh, by the way, for I, UCLA, if I wasn't clear, UCLA's record at the end of this uh, rooting interest obviously was 12 and 0. <laughs> and so, <laughs> Oh my God. Um, and so with that said, again, this is all hypothetical. This is dream season. This is what we are rooting for. We always want UCLA to win the championship. With that, we have to go 12-0. and And the rest of the conference has to be okay. And the, we want to play a great team in the North. The reason why I also chose Oregon is because if UCLA beats a 10-1 and Cal team and then Oregon won the North because Cal was 10-2, and Right, and Oregon was eleven and one. Uh-huh. We would play a new opponent in the Pac twelve championship instead of a repeat, right? And those only the only candidates for a new opponent would be Washington or Oregon, and so in that case, we want Oregon to be that team because I explained earlier we want Oregon to win over Washington between the two, um, as you as Washington's more similar to UCLA's recruit. But we'll have a new opponent, and it would tell us, like, wow, we've actually played, um, we've played nine, or is it ten? We've played ten out of the uh, conference's 12 opponents, and we've beaten them all, right? Right. And so I think that is, yeah, it's actually ten. And then that would help us in terms of our argument for a playoff. I mean, at a point, if you're 13-0 and after running through the conference and a Power 5 conference, you're going to make the playoffs. But that is my reasoning for Oregon-Cal-Washington argument. 
Stanford also going eight and four, similar to Utah, and then Colorado. Um, I actually had them going seven and five because I wanted them to be at their best by the time we played them. The Arizona school is six and six. This is all dependent. This is only just solely based on their positioning when they play us, right? So if they play us, I want them to be undefeated until they play us, or <laughs> at least like losing maybe a game to the northern teams we want to play. And then, then after that, they can win some more games. Or they lose to us, and then they continue winning. And then, or they beat USC. So there's like there's a few factors in there. And then I have we want Washington to lose all their games with uh, out of conference. I mean, within conference, so it would be three and nine. That is the dream season. And then <laughs> Wazoo also losing four and eight because we play them early on. They're they're our first. And we actually don't care too much about Wazoo. We don't compete with them in recruits. We don't, like, there's not many guys, so Wazoo can lose as many. I actually had Oregon State 6-6 six and six as well just because I have a soft spot for them because they do share uh, a state uh, with a very obnoxious program. So um, in that case, yeah. So that's pretty much the sum up. Um, Cal to do really well. Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. USC uh, beat them. Um, argument can be made for USC. How If we want them to lose, that game always means something. And then Washington not to do well. Stanford and Utah kind of in the middle, 8-4. and four, Still solid teams, um, but not uh, enough to win the, their division. Cool. Well, we'll see how this all actually plays out in a couple of weeks. Oh, and then the one thing I do... I want BYU. BYU is the one team out of conference that I don't mind beating Pac-12 teams because I kind of think of them as, aside from their very uh, uh, unique beliefs that keep them from joining a Power Five, I, I kind of think of them as a spiritual kind of like a step uh, son of the Pac-12 conference. They're still with an <laughs> area. So us losing to BYU doesn't necessarily hurt the reputation of the Pac-12 such as losing to SEC or whatnot. It's an independent that clearly is in the Pac-12 region, and it's fine. So I have them beating Utah. I'm, I'm rooting for BYU against Utah, and I'm rooting for BYU versus USC, obviously. Holy war? Yes. Yeah, well, that game's always fun. Yeah. And, and, and it's the and first physical. game of the season. And I think it's on a Friday? Yeah, it's on, or actually, it may be on Thursday, the same day as our game. I thought our game is the first game of the season. Uh, no, no, the first game of the season is next Saturday, Florida and Miami, to kick off the 150. Ew. And then Arizona and Hawaii play. They're the first Pac-12 well, out-of-conference game. And that's, that one's, like, really late at night because, obviously, they're Pac-12 playing Hawaii. Pac-12 after dark. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and so... But cool. in that case, Utah and BYU, it, it, that game, I believe, kicks off either Thursday or Saturday. I don't have the schedule in front of me. I'm not going to look it up. I'm too lazy. But uh, it, that game's going to be a nice appetizer for the weekend because I think <laughs> um, both of those teams are just – it's a rivalry game to start off the season. Which better way do you want to do that with two right. teams in Mormon region who despise each yeah. other for hundreds of years? Only It'll be fun. And all the players are like 30, so. Yeah, exactly. So we get to see guys that are around our age play football. That's what we like to see. That are not professionals. Yep. Um, it'll, be, it'll be fun. 
And then other than that, I guess closing that up, I am going to, we're going to release an article so you'll have this in writing um, uh, with these notes. And then week by week, by week we'll be releasing uh, a week by week um, rooting guide called Who Are You Rooting For? Um, <laughs> named after our very own, uh, Zed's very own, Megan O'Donnell. So she coined that term and we're going with it. Shout out to you, Megan. Shout, shout out, Megan. She also designed our um, logo, so she's very talented and amazing. Yeah, she is. She is just just to clarify, she is my fiance, <laughs> not not a random person. Yes, um, and she yeah, so she's one of the souls of Bruin Source, and she's been great. <laughs> Shout out to you, Megan. Before we turn this podcast into. A <laughs> <laughs> It's a common uh, stream. Uh, anyways, so yeah, so we're going to hopefully get that up and running soon. Um, next week, we'll kind of have our final recap of fall camp. Uh, the AP poll comes out Monday. How many votes are we getting? Uh, I say four because we got three in the coaches poll, and historically the coaches poll usually doesn't like us versus the AP poll. So I think some writers are going to try to be bold, and they're going to include us in their top 25. That's fair. I was going to say three to four also, so we'll get a couple random people throwing their names around, but nothing serious yet until we beat Oklahoma, maybe. Yeah. Um, Shock the world. Shock the world. Shout out DTR. Um, Don't be a fan later. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think that, that... So, yeah... Look out for that next week. That about wraps it all up. Yeah, next week we'll we'll wrap up camp, uh, game one preview, and um, pretty much yeah, continue talking until you stop listening. Cool. All right. Well, we'll catch everyone next week. And go Bruins. Go Bruins.